0: It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford, your co-host for today's show. Together with Pastor John Bornsheen, we will once again be examining the issues of life through the lens of Holy Scripture. As you will recall, Pastor John is the senior pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. We're glad that you have joined us again today. We're continuing our series titled The Top Ten Issues That Divide Christians. The prior episodes in this series and many more can be found on the Church's website at calvaryfountain.com. You'll also find a link to the Church's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Well, last week we continued our discussion on the presence of evil and suffering in the world. Pastor John clarified for us that even though God is all-powerful, He is not the author of evil. Just as cold is the absence of heat and darkness is the absence of light, evil is the absence of good. Last episode, we discussed God's absolute sovereignty over his creation. Today, Pastor John will help us explore that topic further, including how evil exists within the confines of that sovereignty. Pastor John.
1: Uh, well, thank you, Doctor Ford. It is absolutely true. We want to make sure to make the case up front here once again, as you just indicated. As we talk about these, this this whole issue of well, we've been going through these top ten issues that have divided Christians, but really focusing in now on the subject of evil. Why is there pain and suffering right. in the world? And the case that you just stated, I want to make sure our listener absolutely understands. As we talk about evil in the world, there is a quick. Promptness within people to blame God. That's right. That because He is all powerful and all good, holy, and demands all of our uh, just reverential, awestruck wonder of praise and worship of His holiness, which. The more you read of his word, the more that that will be the natural posture we take before him, like Isaiah, or when you see of Ezekiel, or the Apostle John, or anyone who even gets a glimpse of the wonder and awesomeness of who he is. The right response is we put our face in the dirt, <laughs> woe is me, a man of unclean lips, right? I mean, this is the contrast to the state of our world when we see the absolute holiness of God, and he is absolutely good and therefore we have to be very mindful that where we put the blame properly resides not only on this uh, temporary ruler of this present darkness, i.e. Satan in the dominion of darkness, which we see in Ephesians chapter 6. And and really, we, we discussed that in brief, of the third of the angelic hosts of heaven who fall. They allow uh, perhaps Satan in his deception of them, and the dragon sweeps his tails. we see in Revelation even, and a third of the stars fall. They're cast to the earth, not anywhere else in the universe. They're cast here. And then we as sinful creatures, of ever since the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world, when Satan deceives Eve and gets her to question the things of God, she uh, accepts that deceit. and, And then she gives this fruit we dare not call it a, an apple even right. though that seems to be the image there the malum or this image of evil this uh, this fruit it, it's it wasn't the fact that it was something that she even consumed of that was the action of disobedience rather it was the heart issue where there was already disobedience in the heart that was manufactured in a physical action that took place there. So even with Satan, there was already pride in his heart that we read scripturally. And this is what ultimately leads to his fall, this rebellion in his heart that is followed by actions against God. And we see that with the Garden of Eden. They're cast out of the garden. uh, The earth is cursed. The state of affairs and how they engage with God changes. Their interaction with each other changes. We see that. Uh, So it's very vivid, very uh, detailed and what ensues there. We'll get more into that, but we need to make sure that we understand here that God is still holy in authority. He still reigns on high. So the challenge we have then is why is there evil in the world while he is reigning in holy authority And I mentioned Isaiah 45, 7 last week. He says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You read a verse like that, and without proper context, you could grow rather confused. The the God who is holy good would create darkness or create evil? And when we examine, do a word study, this is very important that we do this. You can use the strong concordance amongst many other tools, even Blue Letter Bible Online. There's a number of tools you can use. But when you do a root word study of that, Bada means to shape. Therefore, God is the authority over it, i.e., he orchestrates all things, but God is not the author of evil because in 1 John 1.5, we read that there's no darkness in him at all. And in Psalm 5.4, there is no evil that dwells with him. So he doesn't create evil, but he is the orchestrator over all things. And what we left with, Dr. Ford, we just talked about. Last week is how philosophers try to understand this, even Christian philosophers, that evil is the absence of good. They'll call it the privation of good. And I need us really to understand the proper paradigm here. So think about this for just a moment. I I, want to paint the picture here that what we're talking about of this thing of evil, why there's suffering in the world, this didn't just impact mankind, I really think about this from the perspective of heaven and earth being impacted. God, who does not change according to Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, was impacted by this. We know he is the same yesterday, today and forever according to Hebrews 13:8 to 16, but like our journey his journey was impacted. Think about this: at no time in eternity past did Christ have to go to the cross, and at no point in the future will Christ have to suffer and die again. And so we see the very role of Christ even changing in Hebrews chapter two, verses ten to thirteen. That his very presence, his his uh, his position now as the Lamb of God was seen for the world to behold and ultimately for those who are redeemed and all of heaven glorifies in it glorifies him in this we see that in revelation chapter 5 go back and read that whole chapter it's amazing so his life and role was impacted as ours is impacted by this thing and and so 2 Corinthians 5 21 tells us, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ had never known sin in all of eternity past. So all of eternity future is now impacted by the moment of the cross as a result of this thing called sin entering the world. And, and this is from God who created all things. And this is an amazing assessment when you look at this from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 21. It says in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In verse 3, says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And consider the magnitude of that, because all the way to Revelation 21, we're going to see then that there will be no more night. So from the very beginning, we get the image of the orchestrator, the conductor, who controls all things, like Bada, that we just talked about, that God shapes things, even the things that are to the contrast of him and his holiness and glory is still within the confines of his sovereignty. He saw the end of from the beginning, according to Isaiah 46.10. In fact, if you want to study on the sovereignty of God, you need only go to Isaiah 44 to 46. Read those chapters, and you'll see a wonderful outline of the sovereignty of God, even amongst the kings of men and the things of men. And then you see that in Job 38 to 39 as well. So when we talk about this thing of evil in the world, we also talk about the sovereignty of God. The two go hand in glove. We have to talk about those things. But what I want you to understand here is that this didn't just impact men. It wasn't a sin issue that just impacted the earth. Even God himself experienced suffering, and, and and he saw his people who dishonored him, and he likens Israel to an unfaithful bride even at times. And then he talks about how he grieved over creating man in Genesis, we see the Lord Jesus experience betrayal, the wounds that would even be incurred upon his very body. And after he resurrects, we see the, the, the description of the, the scars in his hands and his side and his feet. So this thing of sin and evil has impacted everything. And so God understands our suffering as well. So as we talk about this, we have to understand the magnitude of all of this.
0: It's interesting, you know, that Scripture says that for the prize set before him, he endured the cross. And when you think about what is mm. the prize, well, through all eternity, it, it wasn't fellowship. He had that within the Trinity. It wasn't love. He had that within the Trinity. Right. The prize set before him, as you have so well illustrated, is us. Mm. What
1: what a humbling thing. Yeah that out of all of this, the suffering and the pain and uh, the, the choices that must be made, and it, really that's what it comes down to. We need battle between Armenianism and Calvinism. And believe me, that struggle goes on today. For I don't sure. know of any camp that I've ever been in of <laughs> a fellowship of believers <laughs> who haven't wrestled with that right Mm -hmm. and and did i choose him did he choose me and the answer is yes (laughs) Um, and of course to the calvinists then depending on which extremity of that they'll say that you know there was no choice almost it seems like in the matter he chose you and and you cannot thwart the will of god and you cannot override his choosing you but yet the beauty of the love relationship is that we do have this joy of choosing him but he chose us first and it is quite the battle between our ears to yeah. understand this and all we can do is simply be in awe of god that's right at the end of it and so let's let's just talk about it in our brief time dr because we know how this goes right? we're trying to wrap it up in a couple weeks <laughs> that's and so true and the magnitude of talking about why this thing called evil even exists in this world but a part of this is about the free will defense And that's where this really uh, can challenge some of our Armenian Calvinism debates in this. And that's not our intent. Our intent is not to ruffle the feathers of one camp versus the other. We're just simply going through this, uh, just kind of, you know, wrestling with it ourselves, going through all the details of it, going back to Scripture, and ultimately letting the Bible be our guide. But one Christian philosopher, Stephen Evans, he describes it this way, the free will defense is the response to the problem of evil, arguing that God may be justified in allowing evil because the possibility of evil is logically inherent in a free will environment. If free will is a great good that makes possible other great goods, then these goods might provide a sufficient reason for God allowing evil. Now, that, that can be something we wrestle with right there. So, if God created human beings with this free will, then God cannot be responsible for moral evils that human beings freely choose to do to one another, right? So say no when they're having to choose They're making a choice every single day. We make choices every day. In fact, I just uh, talked about this. We've got a video that's coming up this Friday. I've been doing these one-minute shorts. And uh, so on Wednesday, I do about a 10-minute teaching, and on Fridays, about a one-minute teaching. That's all I'm given these days, right? (laughs) That's because our attention span is so short. Uh, But in it, I've been talking about how often we succumb to lying, and how lying even permeates the world of the believer. We don't even realize just how yeah. much lying is going on on a daily basis from the tongue of those who profess the name of the Lord. How many times men lie, how many times women lie, how many times we're being lied to. Right. <laughs> and this just goes on around us all day long. I'm not going to give away the answer. you got to watch on Wednesday uh, and, and on Fridays uh, to get some of that as we go through it. But ultimately we have this environment where as sin-filled creatures we are making choices. And with those choices, we're either choosing to honor God, or we're choosing to appeal to the sin nature within us. And true love has a choice. That's the argument. For there to be true love, there has to be a choice. And so even though we have not seen him, we believe, according to First Peter 1.8, we love because the gift of choice has been presented within this created universe, Uh, C.S. Lewis, he uh, builds on this, and he says in his 1940 book, The Problem of Pain, here's what he writes about the omnipotence of God. He says, I'm going to submit that not even an omnipotent being could create a society of free souls without at the same time creating a relatively independent and inexorable nature. Freedom of the creature must mean freedom to choose and choice implies the existence of things to choose between, right? I think that's the beauty of even our marriages. I have a wonderful marriage with my wife. And I can remember earlier on in our marriage, I remember as a young man, I was rather prone to jealousy, right? You know, an attractive other male walks around and. You know, you kind of up, puff out your chest a little bit and your feathers get ruffled and you want to protect uh, this relationship and don't even have eyes for that guy. Don't even look that way. You know, turn turn your head, <laughs> focus on me. Um, you know, those it's silly. You, know, you look back now, and of course, there's a healthy jealousy and there's an unhealthy jealousy. We know that, and we've talked a great deal about relationships. But I think in the same way our Lord has, we've read over and over scripturally, has a perfect holy jealousy over us. He doesn't want us to look at Babylon. He doesn't want us to look at the system of the world or any enticement that Satan may throw before us. He wants our undivided attention on him because he has the best intent for us. That's right. And therefore, we have a choice to look and be enticed by the things of the devil or keep our eyes wholly fixated on the author and perfecter of our faith. That's the joy of relationship with him as our not only our Abba Father, but as our King and Creator, of one whom we are subservient to, but also have this beautiful relationship in, that he says, you can come and sit on my throne. And you read that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 of the beautiful blessings to the overcomer. One of those blessings is he says, sit on my throne. And that's the Lord speaking, Lord Jesus. I can't imagine such a thing. But that's the joy of it's not, you're not my servant, you're my friend. But in this friendship and this love of him, Because he first loves us, we submit all of our freedoms, our choices, as Paul talks about. I have the freedom to do these things, but I will restrict those freedoms for the sake of a brother because I so love my Lord, I'm not going to express all of my freedoms. I'm going to willingly submit my choices to his choices for the greater good, just as he first expressed with me, right? So we then imitate Paul in those things because he imitated the Lord, In those things. And so our children see that modeled in us when we restrict our freedom. Well, I can just do whatever I want, but I'm not going to do whatever I want because I'm held accountable to do what's right in this. That may mean I don't do exactly what I want to do because I'm thinking about the best interest of somebody else. That's the joy we get to emulate our savior. We get to imitate his very action, but it can only happen in a free will environment. True. And to have a free will, that means there has to be something that's presented. That's the opposite of the right thing to do. And that's the challenge that we have here. Norm Geisler, he's a philosopher and theologian. He talked about this of the free will defense. He says, one of the things that makes men and angels morally perfect is freedom. We have a real choice about what we do. God made us that way so that we could be like him and could love freely. Forced love is not love at all, is it? But in making us that way, he also allowed for the possibility of evil. To be free, we had to not only have the opportunity to choose good, but also the ability to choose evil. That was the risk God knowingly took. That doesn't make him responsible for evil. He created the fact of freedom. We perform the acts of freedom. He made evil possible. We made evil actual. Imperfection came through the abuse of our moral perfection as free creatures. Wow. Wow. That's one that takes some time to to process through. So God's sovereignty in all of this remains totally intact. I mean, while limited human freedom remains compatible with what God has determined, I think of what Ronald Nash, he said this. He said, most attempts to answer the inductive problem of evil are variations of on one basic theme, namely that God permits evil, either to make possible some greater good or to avoid some greater evil. Given the limitations of human knowledge, it is hard to see how any human being could actually know that some particular evil is totally senseless and purposeless. So, the, wow, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that really rattles the mind. I mean, if we could see that the horrible thing of the Holocaust would ultimately lead to the nation of Israel being reestablished in fulfillment of prophecy. That, that That's the most amazing thing out of this is that the suffering that occurs leads to something amazing. We get that in Romans chapter 8, right, that he is working all things to the good of those called according to his purposes. So we can trust ultimately the good nature of God that even in this circumstance of tragic, horrible evil that may be happening all around us, that he is weaving everything together for a glorious output at the end of this, even when at Armageddon, when all the nations are rallied against the Lord in disdain and hate of him, he's still going to weave out of that total victory and something amazing that comes from the end of it all, that, that those who are gnashing their teeth against good and in love with darkness, there will be judgment but there will be light at the end of this darkness. That's the great joy that we can trust in the nature of God, that all things will turn out for the good because he's already seen the end from the beginning. Can we trust him, even when it seems like evil is running amok and unchecked and that the leash of the devil is too long? (laughs) Whatever type of images we want to give to that, he is still fully in control. And all of this is foreseen from the beginning, and that's the joy, I think, of reading prophecy is we have this absolute assurance, the God who saw the end from the beginning is telling us not that he is endorsing it, but telling us of the evil that is to come because not that we need not grow discouraged or dismayed, but saying to ourselves in confidence, look what God has revealed so that when these things happen, I do not lose faith. I do not lose heart that my God has somehow relinquished control. He is very much in authority, even over this, and the sun is coming soon. And we'll reign on high. And Dr. Ford, we're giving all this in a season where we just came out of the Feast of Trumpets. Now what's upon us is the Day of Atonement. The holiest day of the year in which they would fast entirely, fast food and water, and they would do so for 25 hours because they didn't want to miss the 24-hour mark, right? Because the body starts screaming for food. They want to make sure that they were totally deprived of these things because it was the one time a year the, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people for the entirety of the year, And that God would accept that sacrifice, and there was great joy and celebration and a half hour of silence, right? And we see that in the book of Revelation as well. And it was all to to humble oneself before the holiness of God. And I believe it's also symbolic of the coming king, that we're ready. The king is coming soon. And no matter how dark things get in this world, he has already assured us that those who call on his name will be saved. Those who are marked and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit need not be fearful of the darkness upon us and of this whole earth, but rather be assured that victory is on the horizon. Victory is even now for the believer. It said we have this joy, the heavy yoke of sin has been lifted, but there is a finish line to all of this in which Jesus Christ reigns over the earth for a thousand years, and then the new heavens and new earth come, and the new Jerusalem comes down upon that. that this, is, uh, this is the great victory at the end of the story, so we need not be dismayed for the evil that seems unchecked right now. Despite all the 330,000 laws in America, That seems like evil is getting darker and more rampant, and the Lord said this thing would happen. Uh, so he tells us that not to discourage us, but to let us know, don't be worried. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and then he will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. So Dr. Ford, really, as we've talked about from the very beginning, this is all about the sovereignty of God. Do we trust him? Even in this, can we fully submit to him he is on control. He loves me. He is in control. He loves me. He knows the very na- hairs on my head. He knows the very number of them. He knows everything. And he's going to see all this through to its perfect completion. That's the trust I have. I don't, I don't yeah. know if I took away some time from you, Dr. Ford, if you had a final thought <laughs> for us today, because time just gets away from us. And I know we've probably got at least a couple more weeks on this.
0: No, I was just thinking that, you know, the scripture that says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And uh, I know I have to do my own self-reflection sometimes and, and realize that at least I feel myself, if I'm not trusting God, that's a sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I'm not trusting him, that I should have that, that love and respect and awe for him to be able to trust him regardless of circumstances. But like you said, he gives us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. We just need to accept it.
1: That's right. Amen. You know, you think about the sabbatical year they were supposed to take every seven years. They were supposed to take a whole year off. That's Leviticus chapter 25. And they couldn't do it. So they would or they were willing to take the weekly Sabbath. Right. But then when you blocked them into blocks of seven years, the mm-hmm. Shemitah cycle, and then ultimately you'd have seven blocks of seven years for the Jubilee cycle. Right. They weren't able to take that year. Yeah. And for four hundred and ninety years, according to Second Chronicles, they robbed God of that sabbatical year. Mm. They just couldn't find it in their own strength, and that was by design. It wasn't supposed to be by their strength. It was supposed to be their total trust in God. I'm not going to plant or till the soil for an entire year, and God says, if you trust me, I'm going to bring three times the productivity out of the land, not by your hand, but by my gift to you, because you trusted in me for an entire year for your provision. And they couldn't do it. They had to turn to their own strength. And we as believers today, we are called for the same task. Will you trust me? I will care for you. I will bring you under my wing of protection. We see that Psalm 91 reminded over and over again. He loves us that much. Will we trust him? Even in the midst of sorrows and times of darkness, the Lord knows your name and he has a plan for you. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth today. We are still just getting started, it feels like, Dr. Ford, in this topic. We'll cover more of it next week. We hope you're encouraged as we go through this. And if you would like to share it with your friends and family alike and re-listen to it, go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church, and services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We sure love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.